Section 1 of Soldier's Pay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Soldier's Pay by William Faulkner. Chapter 1. Part 1. Soldier, the hushed plaint of wind in stricken trees, shivers the grass in path and lane, and grief and time are tideless golden seas. Hush, hush, he's home again. Achilles, did you shave this morning, cadet? Mercury, yes, sir. Achilles, what with, cadet? Mercury, issue, sir. Achilles, carry on, cadet. From an old play, about nineteen hundred and something. Lo, Julian, number blank, Late a flying cadet, umpteeth squadron, air service, known as one wing by the other embryonic aces of his flight, regarded the world with a yellow and disgruntled eye. He suffered the same jaundice that many a more booted one than he did, from flight commanders through generals to the ambrosial single bard, not to mention that inexplicable beast of the field which the French so beautifully call an aspiring aviator. They had stopped the war on him. So he sat in a smouldering of disgusted sorrow, not even enjoying his Pullman prerogatives, spitting on his thumb his hat with its accursed white band. Had your nose in the wind, eh, buddy? said Yap Hank, going home and smelling to high heaven of bad whiskey. Ah, go to hell, he returned sourly, and Yap Hank doffed his tortured hat. Why, sure, General, or should I have said lieutenant? Excuse me, madam. I got gas doing KP, and my sight ain't been the same since. On to Berlin. Yes, sure, we're on to Berlin. I'm on to you, Berlin. I got your number. Number no thousand, no hundred and naughty not. Private. Very private. Joe Gilligan. Late for parade. Late for fatigue. Late for breakfast when breakfast is late. The Statue of Liberty ain't never seen me, and if she do, she'll have to bout face. Cadet Lowe raised a sophisticated eye. Say, what you're drinking anyway? Brother, I don't know. Fellow that makes it was give a congressional medal last Tuesday because he has got a plan to stop the war, enlist all the Dutchmen in our army, and make em drink so much of his stuff a day for forty days, see? Ruin any war. Get the idea? I'll say. Won't know whether it's a war or a dance, huh? Sure, they can tell. The women will all be dancing. Listen, I had a swell, Jane, and she said, For Christ's sake, you can't dance. And I said, Like hell, I can't. And we was dancing, and she said, What are you anyways? And I says, What do you want to know for? I can dance as well as any general or major or even a sergeant, because I just win 400 in a poker game. And she said, Oh, did you? And I said, Sure. Stick with me, kid. And she said, Where is it? only i wouldn't show it to her and then this fellow came up to her and said are you dancing this one and she said sure i am this bird don't dance well he was a sergeant the biggest one i ever seen say he was like that fellow in arkansas that had some trouble with a nigger and a friend said to him well i hear you killed a nigger yesterday and he said yes weighed two hundred pounds like a bear he took the lurching of the train limberly and cadet Lowe said for christ's sake Sure, agreed the other. She won't hurt you, though. I didn't tried it. My dog won't drink none of it, of course. 
But then he got bad ways hanging around Brigade HQ. He's the one trophy of the war I got. Something that wasn't never bawled out by a shavetail for not saluting. Say, would you kindly like to take a little something to keep off the somniferous dues of this goddamn country? The honor is all mine, and you won't mind it much after the first two drinks. Makes me homesick, like a garage. Ever work in a garage? Sitting on the floor between two seats was Yap Hank's traveling companion, trying to ignite his played and sodden cigar. Like devastated France, thought Cadet Lowe, swimming his memory through the adenoidal reminiscences of Captain Blythe, an RAF pilot delegated to temporarily reinforce their democracy. Why, poor soldier, said his friend tearfully, all alone in no man's land and no matches. Ain't war hell, I ask you. He tried to push the other over with his leg, then he fell to kicking him slowly. Move over, you ancient mariner. Move over, you goddamn bastard. Alas, poor jerks or something. I've seen that in a play, see? Good line. Come on. Come on. Here's General Pershing come to have a drink with the poor soldiers. He addressed Cadet Lowe. Look at him. Ain't he sodden in depravity? Battle of Cunyak, the man on the floor muttered. Ten men killed. Maybe fifteen, maybe hundred. Poor children at home saying, Alice, where art thou? Yeah, Alice, where in hell are you? That other bottle. What in hell have you done with it? Keeping it to swim in when you get home? The man on the floor weeping said, You wrong me as ever man wronged. Accuse me of hiding mortgage on house? Then take this soul and body. Take all. Ravish me, big boy. Ravish a bottle of vinegar juice out of you anyway. The other muttered, busy beneath the seat. He rose, triumphant, clutching a fresh bottle. Hark! The sound of battle, and the laughing horses draws near. But shall they dull this poor, unworthy head? No, but I would like to have seen one of them laughing horses. Must have been lady horses altogether. Your extreme highness, with ceremony, extending the bottle, will you be kind enough to kindly condescend to honour these kind but unworthy strangers in a foreign land? Cadet Lowe accepted the bottle, drank briefly, gagged, and spat his drink. The other supporting him massaged his back. Come on, come on, they don't nothing taste that bad. Kindly cupping Lowe's opposite shoulder in his palm, he forced the bottle mouthward again. Lowe released the bottle, defending himself. Try again. I got you. Drink it now. Jesus Christ, said Cadet Lowe, averting his head. Passengers were interested, and Yap Hank soothed him. No, no, they won't nothing hurt you. You're among friends. Us soldiers gotta stick together in a foreign country like this. Come on, drink her down. She ain't worth nothing to no one. Spit on his legs like that. Hell, man, I can't drink it. Why, sure you can. Listen, think of flowers. Think of your poor gray-haired mother banging on the front gate and sobbing her gray-haired heart out. Listen, think of having to go to work again when you get home. Ain't war hell? I would have been a corporal at least if she'd just hung on another year. Hell, I can't. Why, you got to, his new friend told him kindly, pushing the bottle suddenly in his mouth and tilting it. To be flooded or to swallow were his choices, so he drank and retained it. His belly rose and hung and sank, reluctant. There now, wasn't so bad, was it? Remember, this hurts me to see my good liquor going down more than it does you, but she do kind of smack of gasoline, don't she? Cadet Lowe's outraged stomach heaved at its muscular moorings like a captive balloon. 
He gaped, and his vitals coiled coldly in a passionate ecstasy. His friend again thrust the bottle in his mouth. Drink quick. You gotta protect your investment, you know. His private parts flooded, washed back to his gulping, and a sweet fire ran through him, and the Pullman conductor came and regarded them in helpless disgust. Tension, said Yapshank, springing to his feet. Beware of officers. Rise, men, and salute the admiral here. He took the conductor's hand and held it. Boys, this man commanded the navy, he said. When the enemy tried to capture Coney Island, he was there, or somewhere between there and Chicago, anyway, wasn't you, Colonel? Look out, men, don't do that. But Jap Hank had already kissed his hand. Now run along, Sergeant, and don't come back until dinner is ready. Listen, you must stop this. You will ruin my train. Bless your heart, Captain. Your train couldn't be no safer with us if it was your own daughter. The man sitting on the floor moved, and Yap Hank cursed him. Sit still, can't you? Say, this fellow thinks it's night. Suppose you have your hired man bed him down. He's just in the way, here. The conductor, deciding Lowe was the sober one, addressed him. For God's sake, soldier, can't you do something with them? Sure, said Cadet Lowe. You run along. I'll look after them. They're all right. Well, do something with them. I can't bring a train into Chicago with the whole army drunk on it. My God, Sherman was sure right. Yap Hank stared at him quietly. Then he turned to his companions. Men, he said solemnly, he don't want us here, and this is the reward we get for giving our flesh and blood to our country's need. Yes, sir, he don't want us here. He begrudges us riding on his train, even. Say, suppose we hadn't sprang to the nation's call. Do you know what kind of a train you'd have? A train full of Germans. A train full of folks eating sausage and drinking beer, all going to Milwaukee. That's what you'd have. Couldn't be worse than a train full of you fellows not knowing where you're going, the conductor replied. All right, yep, Hank answered. If that's the way you feel, we'll get off your goddamn train. Do you think this is the only train in the world? No, no, the conductor said hastily. Not at all. I don't want you to get off. I just want you to straighten up and not disturb the other passengers. The sitting man lurched clumsily, and Cadet Low met interested stares. No, said yep, Hank. No. You have refused the hospitality of your train to the saviors of your country. We could have expected better treatment than this in Germany, even in Texas. He turned to Lowe. Men, we will get off this train at the next station. Hey, General? My God, repeated the conductor. If we ever have another peace, I don't know what the railroads will do. I thought war was bad, but my God. Run along, Yap Hank told him. Run along. You probably won't stop for us, so I guess we'll have to jump off. Gratitude. Where is gratitude when trains won't stop to let poor soldiers off? I know what it means. They'll fill trains with poor soldiers and run them off into the Pacific Ocean. Won't have to feed them any more. Poor soldiers. Woodrow, you wouldn't have treated me like this. Hey, what you doing? But the man ignored him, tugging the window up and dragging a cheap paper suitcase across his companion's knees. Before either Lowe or the conductor could raise a hand, he'd pushed the suitcase out the window. All out, men! His sodden companion heaved clawing from the floor. Hey, that was mine you throwed out! Well, ain't you going to get off with us? We're going to throw them all off, and when she slows down, we'll jump ourselves. But you throwed mine off first, the other said. 
Why, sure, I was saving you the trouble, see? Now don't you feel bad about it. You can throw mine off if you want, and then Pershing here, and the Admiral can throw each other's off the same way. You got a bag, ain't you? He asked the conductor. Get yours quick, so we won't have so damn far to walk. Listen, soldiers, said the conductor, and Cadet Low, thinking of Elba, thinking of his coiling guts and a slow alcoholic fire in him, remarked the splayed official gold, breaking the man's cap. New York swam flatly past. Buffalo was imminent, and sunset. Listen, soldiers, repeated the conductor. I got a son in France. Six marines he is. His mother ain't heard from him since October. I'll do anything for you, boys, see, but for God's sake act decent. No, replied the man. You have refused us hospitality, so we get off. When does the train stop, or have we got to jump? No, no. You boys sit here. Sit here and behave, and you'll be all right. No need to get off. He moved, swaying down the aisle, and the sodden one removed his devastated cigar. You throwed my suitcase out, he repeated. Yap Hank took Cadet Lowe's arm. Listen, wouldn't that discourage you? God knows I'm trying to help the fellow get a start in life, and what do I get? One complaint after another. He addressed his friend again. Why, sure, I throwed your suitcase off. What you want to do? Wait till we get to Buffalo and pay a quarter to have it took off for you? But you throwed my suitcase out, said the other again. All right, I did. What you going to do about it? The other pawed himself erect, clinging to the window, and fell heavily over Lowe's feet. For Christ's sake, his companion said, thrusting him into his seat. Watch what you're doing. Get off, the man mumbled wetly. Huh? Get off, too, he explained, trying to raise again. He got on to his legs, and lurching, bumping, and sliding about the open window, he thrust his head through it. Cadet Low caught him by the brief skirt of his blouse. Here, here. Come back, you damn fool. You can't do that. I sure he can, contradicted Yaphank. Let him jump off if he wants. He ain't only going to buffalo anyways. Hell, he'll kill himself. My God, repeated the conductor, returning at a heavy gallop. He leaned across Lowe's shoulder and caught the man's leg. The man with his head and torso through the window swayed lax and sodden as a meal sack. Yaphank pushed Lowe aside and tried to break the conductor's grip on the other's leg. Let him be. I don't believe he'll jump. But good God, I can't take any chances. Look out. Look out, soldier. Pull him back there. Oh, for Christ's sake, let him go, said Low, giving up. Sure, the other amended. Let him jump. I'd kind of like to see him do it, since he suggested it himself. Besides, he ain't the kind for young fellows like us to associate with. Good riddance. Let's help him off, he added, shoving the man's lumpy body. The would-be suicide's hat whipped from his head, and the wind temporarily clearing his brain, he fought to draw himself in. He changed his mind. His companion resisted, kindly. Come on, come on, don't lose your nerve now. Go on and jump. Help! the man shrieked into the vain wind, and help! the conductor chorused, clinging to him, and two alarmed passengers and the porter came to his assistance. They overcame Yap Hank and drew the now thoroughly alarmed man into the car. The conductor slammed shut the window. Gentlemen, he addressed the two passengers, will you sit here and keep them from putting him out that window? I am going to put them all off as soon as we reach Buffalo. I'd stop the train and do it now, only they'd kill him as soon as they get him alone. Henry, to the porter, call the train conductor and tell him to wire ahead to Buffalo. We got two crazy men on board. Yeah, Henry, Yap Hank amended to the Negro. 
Tell them to have a band there and three bottles of whiskey. If they ain't got a band of their own, tell them to hire one. I will pay for it. He dragged a blobby mass of bills from his pocket and, stripping off one, gave it to the porter. Do you want a band, too? he asked low. No, answering himself. No, you don't need none. You can use mine. Run now, he repeated. Yes, sir, Captain. White teeth were like a suddenly opened piano. Watch em, man, the conductor told his appointed guards. You, Henry, he shouted, following the vanishing white jacket. Yap Hank's companion, sweating and pale, was about to become ill. Yap Hank and Lowe sat easily, respectively affable and belligerent. The newcomers touched shoulders for mutual support, alarmed but determined. Craned heads of other passengers became again smugly unconcerned over books and papers, and the train rushed on along the sunset. Well, gentlemen, began Yap Hank conversationally. The two civilians sprang like plucked wires, and one of them said, Now, now, soothingly, putting his hand on the soldier, just be quiet, soldier, and we'll look after you. Us Americans appreciates what you've done. Hank White, muttered the sodden one. Huh? asked his companion. Hank White, he repeated. The other turned to the civilian cordially. Well, bless my soul, if here ain't old Hank White in the flesh that I was raised with. Why? "'Hank, we heard you was dead, or in the piano business or something. "'You ain't been fired, have you? "'I notice you ain't got no piano with you.' "'No, no,' the man answered in alarm. "'You're mistaken. Schluss is my name. "'I got a swell line of ladies under things.' "'He produced a card. "'Well, well, ain't that nice. "'Say,' he leaned confidentially towards the other, "'you don't carry no women's samples with you.' "'No, I was afraid not. "'But never mind, I'll get you one in Buffalo.' Not buy you one, of course. Just rent you one, you might say, for the time being. Horace, to Cadet Lowe, where's that bottle? Here she is, Major, responded Lowe, taking the bottle from beneath his blouse. Yap Hank offered it to the two civilians. Think of something far, far away and drink fast, he advised. Why, thanks, said the one called Schluss, tendering the bottle formally to his companion. They stooped cautiously and drank. Yap Hank and Cadet Low drank, not stooping. Be careful, soldiers, warned Schluss. Sure, said Cadet Low. They drank again. Won't the other one take nothing? asked the heretofore silent one, indicating Yap Hank's travelling companion. He was hunched awkwardly in the corner. His friend shook him, and he slipped limply to the floor. That's the horror of the demon rum, boys, said Yap Hank solemnly, and he took another drink. And Cadet Low took another drink. He tendered the bottle. No, no, Schluss said with passion. Not no more right now. He don't mean that, Yap Hank said. He just ain't thought. He and Lowe stared at the two civilians. Give him time. He'll come to himself. After a while, the one called Schluss took the bottle. That's right, Yap Hank told Lowe confidentially. For a while, I thought he was going to insult the uniform. But you wasn't, was you? No, no, they ain't no one respects a uniform like I do. Listen, I would have liked to fought by your side, see, but someone got to look out for business while the boys are gone. Ain't that right? He appealed to Lowe. I don't know, said Lowe with courteous belligerence. I never had time to work any. Come on, come on, Yap Hank reprimanded him. All of us wasn't young enough to be lucky as you. How was I lucky? Lowe rejoined fiercely. Well, shut up about it. If you wasn't lucky, we got something else to worry about. Sure, 
Schliss added quickly. We all got something to worry about. He tasted the bottle briefly, and the other said, Come on now, drink it. No, no, thanks. I got plenty. Yap Hank's eye was like a snake's. Take a drink now. Do you want me to call the conductor and tell him you are worrying us to give you whiskey? The man gave him the bottle quickly. He turned to the other civilian. What makes him act so funny? No, no, said Schluss. Listen, you soldiers drink if you want. We'll look after you. The silent one added like a brother, and Yapshank said, They think we're trying to poison them. They think we're German spies, I guess. No, no, when I see a uniform, I respect it like it was my mother. Then come on and drink. Schluss gulped and passed the bottle. His companion drank also, and sweat beaded them. Won't he take nothing? repeated the silent one, and Yapank regarded the other soldier with compassion. Alas, poor Hank, he said. Poor boy's done for, I fear. The end of a long friendship, men. Cadet Lowe said, sure, seeing two distinct Hanks, and the other continued, look at that kind, manly face. Children together we was, picking flowers in the flowery meadows. Him and me made the middleweight mule wipers battalion what she was. Him and me devastated France together. And now look at him. Hank, don't you recognize this weeping voice, this soft hand on your brow? General, he turned to Lowe, will you be kind enough to take charge of the remains? I will deputize these kind strangers to stop at the first harness factory we pass and have a collar suitable for mules made of dogwood with the initials H.W. in forget-me-nots. Schluss, in ready tears, tried to put his arm about Yap Hank's shoulders. There, there, death ain't only a parting. Brace up. Take a little drink, then. You'll feel better. Why, I believe I will, he replied. You got a kind heart, buddy. Fall in when fire call blows, boys. Schluss mopped his face with a soiled, scented handkerchief, and they drank again. New York, in a rosy glow of alcohol and sunset, streamed past, breaking into Buffalo, and with fervent new fire in them they remarked the station. Poor Hank now slept peacefully in a spittoon. Cadet Lowe and his friend, being cold of stomach, rose and supported their companions. Schluss evinced a disinclination to get off. He said it couldn't possibly be Buffalo, that he'd been to Buffalo too many times. Sure, they told him, holding him erect, and the conductor glared at them briefly and vanished. Lowe and Yap got their hats and helped the civilians into the aisle. I'm certainly glad my boy wasn't old enough to be a soldier, remarked a woman passing them with difficulty, and Lowe said to Yap Hank, Say, what about him? Him, repeated the other, having attached Schluss to himself. That one back there, Lowe indicated the casual. Oh, him. You're welcome to him if you want him. Why, aren't you together? Outside was the noise and smoke of the station. They saw through the windows hurrying people and porters, and Yaphank, moving down the aisle, answered, Hell no, I never seen him before. Let the porter sweep him out, or keep him, whichever he likes. They half-dragged, half-carried the two civilians, and with diabolical cunning, Yaphank led the way through the train and dismounted from a day coach. On the platform, Schluss put his arm round the soldier's neck. Listen, fellows, he said with passion. You know my name, you got a drush. Listen, I will show you, America appreciates what you done. All glory, ever wave on land and sea. Listen, ain't nothing I got soldier can't have, nothing. And if you wasn't soldiers, I am still for you, one hundred percent. I like you, I swear I like you. Why, sure, the other agreed, supporting him. 
After a while, he spied a policeman, and he directed his companion's gait towards the officer. Lo, with his silent one, followed. Stand up, can't you? he hissed, but the man's eyes were filled with an inarticulate sadness, like a dog's. Do the best you can, then, Cadet Lo softened, added, and Yaphank stopped before the policeman was saying, Looking for two drunks, Sergeant? These men were annoying a whole trainload of people. Can't nothing be done to protect soldiers from annoyance. If it ain't top sergeants, it's drunks. I'd like to see the man can annoy a soldier, answered the officer. Beat it now. But say, these men are dangerous. What are you good for if you can't preserve the peace? Beat it, I said. Do you want me to run all of you in? You're making a mistake, sergeant. These are the ones you're looking for, the policeman said. Looking for? regarding him with interest. Sure. Didn't you get our wire? We wired ahead to have the train met. Oh, these are the crazy ones, are they? Where's the one they were trying to murder? Sure, they are crazy. You think a sane man would get himself into this state? The policeman looked at the four of them with a blasé eye. Go on now. You're all drunk. Beat it, or I'll run you in. All right. Take us in. If we gotta go to the station to get rid of these crazy ones, we'll have to. Where's the conductor of this train? He's with a doctor working on the wounded one. Say, you men better be careful. What you trying to do, kid me? Yapank jerked his companion up. Stand up, he said, shaking the man. Love you like a brother, the other muttered. Look at him, he said. Look at both of them. And there's a man hurt on that train. Are you going to stand here and do nothing? I thought she was kidding me. These are the ones, are they? He raised his whistle, and another policeman ran up. Here they are, Ed. You watch them, and I'll get aboard and see about that dead man. You soldiers stay here, see? Sure, Sergeant, Yapank agreed. The officer ran heavily away, and he turned to the civilians. All right, boys. Here's the bellhops come to carry you out where the parade starts. You go with them, and me and this other officer will go back and get the conductor and the porter. They want to come, too. Schloss again took him in his arms. Love you like a brother. Anything guts yours? Ask me. Sure, he rejoined. Watch him, Cap. You're crazy as hell. Now you run along with this nice man. Here, the policeman said. You two wait here. There came a shout from the train, and the conductor's face was a bursting, bellowing moon. Like to wait and see it explode on him, Yapank murmured. The policeman supporting the two men hurried towards the train. Come on here, he shouted to Yapank and Lo. As he drew away, Yapank spoke swiftly to Lo. Come on, General, he said. Let's get going. So long, boys. Let's go, kid. The policeman shouted, Stop there. But they disregarded him, hurrying down the long shed, leaving the excitement to clot about itself for all of them. Outside the station in the twilight, the city broke sharply its skyline against the winter evening, and lights were shimmering birds on motionless golden wings, bell notes in arrested flight, ugly everywhere beneath a rumored retreating magic of color. Food for the belly and winter, though spring was somewhere in the world, from the south blown up like forgotten music. Caught both in the magic of change, they stood feeling the spring in the cold air, as if they had but recently come into a new world, feeling their littleness and believing, too, that lying in wait for them was something new and strange. They were ashamed of this, and silence was unbearable. Well, buddy, and Yapank slapped Cadet Low smartly on the back, that's one parade we'll sure be a wall from, huh?
End of section one. Read by Sandra, Montreal, 2022.